Galatians chapter 6. Lord willing, time willing, we'll be finishing up the book of Galatians. And next week we're going to be starting the book of Acts. I really feel like the Lord's laid Acts on our heart. Um, just to really stop and go back and remind ourselves of what the church is supposed to be, what its vision is, what its focus is, what it looks like. You know, there's a lot of opportunities that the Lord is laying at our feet as a church, a lot of things that are coming up, and it's a good time for us to stop as a body of Christ, go through that book together and say, Lord, what do you want from us? What does that look like? Quick reminder, don't forget, after the 10 o'clock service here, we'll be meeting back in room 6 for anybody interested, involved in the VBS Muslim outreach going on this coming Saturday up in Toledo. We'll have a quick information. Informational meeting. We'll kind of go through some of the attire, cultural things, etc. If you're interested in that, that'll be in room six following the 10 o'clock here service. Alrighty, Galatians chapter 6. Hey, pray with me if you would, and let's get going into this. Lord, you wrote it. I pray that you would teach it. Let your spirit lead, guide, and direct. Be with us right here, right now to go deeper in you in your name. Amen. Now, the beauty of this book is how everything just ties in so wonderful together. And I wish that we could also sit down at one time and just go through the entire book together. Uh, I was looking at Bibles recently, and Dawn got me one that I really just have fallen in love with. It's a Bible that has no chapters and no verses in it. Now, it's a little different if you're not used to that, but as you're reading through it, it really brings the entire book together as one piece. Because what happens is when we just start talking about what we're talking about here this morning, if you haven't been with us, it kind of seems like we're just throwing some points in. It ties into the entire theme of the book of Galatians. And so I'm going to try to remind you as we come to our final thoughts here in the book of Galatians. I always look at Paul's final epistles and his writings when he's doing the last chapter. It's almost like through the Spirit, like Paul is saying, hey, don't forget about this. It's almost like he's walking out the door. Or when I walk out the door and I'll say, hey, boys, don't forget to do this. Hey, Dawn, don't forget to do this. These are his final thoughts through the Spirit that are bringing everything together, all these points that we've gone through over the last few months. And I'll try to remind you that as we go through that. So with that being said, let's start in verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Here's the idea. You're supposed to be helping each other out. The context of that goes back to verse 2 in the same chapter. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Same thing. Go back to chapter 5. Take a look at verses 13 and 14. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is an ongoing theme, this idea of helping each other out. This is the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. We're built off supporting one another and what we're going through. Now in this specific passage here in verse 6, they're talking about this idea of, of giving. Now, what happens here on a Sunday morning and throughout the week, the Lord has blessed me, and I get a chance to be the pastor of this church. And it's something I thoroughly enjoy doing, and I love. And the way the system works is I get to come and hopefully present God's truth to you. Hopefully, Rich and I get a chance to minister to you throughout the week. And then part of what happens is the giving that goes on supports us to be able to do that. You help provide for Dawn and I, and it's a joy to be able to serve with you guys. And this is what verse is talking about, the idea of sharing and all good things. You good old King Jamesers out there, it says communicate. But it really carries the idea not of words, but taking care of each other. You know, this idea of we help each other out, we support each other, and this is the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. Now, this brings up the idea of giving. Now, giving is always kind of a difficult subject, especially as a pastor, as a teacher, because when I start talking about giving or preaching about it, it makes it sound like I want your money. I don't want your money. God just doesn't want you to want your money. 
That's what it comes down to. And I tell you, the more I study the Bible and the more I realize is the blessing of giving, the beautiful picture that it's supposed to be. This idea that we want to impact eternity. And so what we do, and it makes no sense, makes no sense to the world in any way whatsoever, that we will freely, willfully give up some of our income. The idea that we're going to support missions, we're going to support outreach, we're going to support the body of Christ. But what a wonderful blessing it is in this idea of sharing, this idea of giving. If you'd go to 2 Corinthians 9 with me, I'd appreciate it. As you're going to 2 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may be prosper. This idea of the first day of the week on Sundays, there's supposed to be this idea of collecting. This collecting of the gifts that then can be used to help further the gospel and help support the body of Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about this. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now be careful with that verse. I love that verse because that is such a true, true statement when it comes to the giving. This classic example of you can't outgive the Lord. The problem is though people look at verse 6 and they start treating God like an investment banker. That's, that's not what this verse is saying. I've heard it on TV. I've heard it on the radio. You just plant your $100 seed gift and just trust that in a month the Lord is going to give you 10 times back. But what happens is we stop and we think, well, that's a better rate than I'm getting at the bank. I might as well invest in Christianity. No. What this is saying is you see eternity. You see the importance of this. And you stop and you say, Lord, I don't need this. This is not for me. This is your money anyways. So I'm going to invest in the church. I'm going to invest in the gospel. I'm going to invest in seeing missions go out there so people that are dying and going to hell can have the truth spoken to them. Not all of us are called to go serve on the front lines of foreign missions work, but we're called to pray for them and support them. There's enough missions work right here for us, but we're called to do this as a body. So what you need to understand with verse 6 is this idea of you are investing, you are sowing into something spiritual. How do you do it? Verse 7, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is something that is you have purposed in your heart. You have prayed over this. You've said, this is part of what I do. And as the Lord leads, this is what I do. Now, it says, not grudgingly or of necessity. This is not a forced thing. It's not a have to. We don't pass the plate here. There's no push for any type of money in any way whatsoever. I had a guy one time come up to me. This is years ago. He was frustrated with us as a church. He was just kind of rambling on about what he was frustrated with. And I'm kind of listening to him and thinking, oh, man, maybe this guy's right on some stuff. I don't know. Then all of a sudden he gets this. You know what I really dislike about you guys? And I said, what? He goes, the only thing you guys talk about is money. I'm like, well, right now I can ignore everything you say. Because I'm the one that teaches, and I know that we don't focus on that in any way whatsoever. When it comes up in the scriptures, we will present the truth of it. We will present that, and that's what we want to teach on. You know, at a board meeting, what we have is we have our financial statements that come out that kind of let us know what's coming in, what's going out. And on the top line is how much money has come in for the month, et cetera. And the bottom line is the expenses. And one of the things I try to tell the board repeatedly is don't focus on the top. There's nothing we can do about that. That's between the body of Christ and the Lord. What we need to do is focus on the bottom and the expenses. Are we doing everything we can as a body of Christ to keep our expenses low, to make sure we're being wise steward of God's money? It's between the Lord and the body on what they give. And I would tell you this, if there's ever a big month out here of expenses, maybe there's an air conditioning unit or there's something with the bus or something, wouldn't you know it, that month there's always more money that just comes in and the Lord takes care of it. 
That's the beauty of what the Lord does. So this is not a grudgingly. It's not a necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to see the big picture. He wants you to do it. So now what happens is at this point, some people say, well, if he's not forcing me to, then I'm not going to worry about it. That's between you and the Lord. But I just want to tell you this. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out a lot. Now, this is what's difficult. is because my background, as some of you know, my degree is actually finance. That's what I went to school for. So I graduated from college with a finance degree, and I took the one job where I don't do anything with money. God's got a sense of humor. In fact, if I go over and do a visit with somebody who maybe hasn't been at church for a while, it's not uncommon for them to say, hey, are you heading out to church? And I'll say, yeah. They'll say, hey, would you mind dropping this off? And I'll say, sure. And they hand it to me, and I see what it is. It's a giving check. And to me, that's like the plague. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be near it. They're like, could you please do it? So what I'll do is I'll take it and I'll get in my car and I will email Richard and Nancy right away and say, I want to let you know that I have this check from this person I'm taking right out to the church. I want full accountability. I don't want to be accused of anything. I don't want to even touch it. So what happens is I'll start doing financial counseling with couples or with people. And money's tight, what have you. And they said, hey, would you mind sit down? And as we're sitting down and talking, inevitably giving comes up. And I'll say, do you give? And I always say, now listen, I'm not trying to make this awkward because if you give, it doesn't mean I get any more. It doesn't work that way whatsoever. But I want it for your sake. That's what I want. I want it for your sake. Because take a look here, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I tell them, it says in Malachi chapter 3, the Lord says, test me in this. Bring your tithes into the storehouse. It says, test me in this. And I say, I know looking at your budget, money's tight. I get it. And I know the pastor of the church is now suggesting to you to give. But it has nothing to do with me. It's about God's faithfulness to you. It's a walk of faith. Because I can give example after example after example in my life of the Lord's faithfulness. Because he's faithful in this. He says, test me in this. Try me in this. Dawn and I, even before we got married, have always been tithers. That's what we do. We believe that God has asked us to give 10% of our gross, and that's what we do. Now, we can get into debate on whether it's supposed to be a tithe or not. I tell you this, my opinion, let me stress one more time, my opinion, I believe for me and Dawn, we set the baseline of a tithe. That's what worked in the Old Testament. You see hints of that in the New Testament. Some people come and say, well, if you look at verse 7, is each one purposes in his heart? That's fine. Don and I purposed in our heart that the tithe is where we're going to be. So that's what we feel the Lord has led us to do, and that's something we do. For some people, it may be more than that because the Lord has blessed that. Now, once again, I'm not going to announce a building project today, so don't think that's what I'm pushing towards. This is the beauty of going verse by verse through God's word. But let me share what the Lord has done in Don and my life. And I've just got a few quick stories about it. First one was, this has been a while ago, we received a gift. And it was a nice financial gift that we didn't really need. It was very nice, and we were very appreciative of it. And we looked at our finances. We looked at everything. We said, we, we really don't need this. And there was a missionary getting ready to go out and do some missions work. And we really felt led to get involved with that. So we contacted this missionary, and we just really said ambiguously, listen, someone wants to give a gift. And so if you feel led to go into the missions field, I want to let you know that this gift is here for you. And so this was back in December. And they said, okay, you know, that's really neat. So we didn't think anything about it. January comes around, and we get some bills. Some bills that we necessarily really weren't expecting and some bills that were literally thousands of dollars more than we really thought it was going to be. Thousands of dollars or more. And now all of a sudden that gift that we promised that missionary is starting to look really, really good to us. So I felt led to contact the missionary just to confirm 
that they felt led to go out in the missions field. Because if they didn't, then there's a mission field on 23203 Hammondsburg Road that could use that missions gift. Well, wouldn't you know what? They felt led to go into the missions field. And we had already promised this. Now, my mind goes back to Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, where they died because they chose not to give the gift. And I said, okay, Lord, we promised. Now, I'm not an idiot. I play a good one, but I'm really not an idiot. I can take care of accounting and finances. I can do that. To this day, I still don't know how the Lord provided for those bills. I don't. The money was just there. So now fast forward about a half year later. Dawn and I uh, felt led that we were going to go do some type of little bit of an outreach, etc. And so we were planning on doing this and we were going to go do it. Then out of the blue, we receive a check from somebody within the church for the exact same amount of money that we gave to that missionary six months previously. And I realized it's not my money, it's not their money, it's God's money. He just circles it. Wherever it needs to go, he just takes it where he needs to go. And I have learned just that it's not this investment banker. It's not this, Lord, I give, so I know you owe me. Because the Bible says God's a debtor to no man. No, I just know he's faithful. And he'll take care of us. We were living in this little tiny apartment in McClure when Dawn and I first got married 21 years ago. And we loved it. If you think of like the Monopoly board, we were the Baltic Purples. And we were totally okay with it. So we had lived there about a year and a half or so, and someone comes up to us from church from a Bible study and says, hey, my parents have a uh, house out in the country, and they're looking for someone to move in. It's a nice two-story farmhouse on a few acres, etc. Oh, we can't afford anything like that. And it's like, well, here's the deal. They just want you to stay there rent-free. Just pay the utilities, pay the property taxes, take care of the property. So I'm like, okay, what are we getting ourselves into? So we drive over, and this is a wonderful house. So we move in for nine years. And so for nine years, we were able to stay someplace rent-free. The Lord just blessed us and took care of us. Then when it came time for us, it was time for us to move out of there because someone else was going to move in. There was somebody here from the church that said, hey, we heard that you're going to be building a house. We want to help bless you in a certain way. And they helped, stood up. This is just the Lord. This is what the Lord does. And this should not be anything new to us. Thousands of years ago, they walked through the wilderness and their sandals did not wear out. They had manna in the morning. They had quail. They had water. This is Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. So what I'm trying to tell you guys is this. The blessing that comes out of saying, Lord, I am purposing in my heart to make sure that you're the God of also my finances. And let me repeat one more time. It's not that we're trying to get it from you. That doesn't mean anything about it. It's the Lord says, test me in this, try me in this. And I tell you, you guys, you will be blessed. Don't look at the budget line. Don't look at the bottom line and say, how can I? This is faith. This is where you say, Lord, I see the big picture. And remind yourself one more time, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace upon to you that you always have all sufficiency in all things. He'll take care of you. Take care of you. What does he do? Verse 10. He supplies seed to the sower. Bread for food. Supply and multiply. The seed you have sown and increases the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. Which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So what does giving actually do? Verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. Supplies the needs of the saints. So you help take care of the body of Christ. What else does it do? It's also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Lord, I don't need this. You're going to provide, you're going to take care of me, and what an absolutely blessing it is. And I just want to encourage you as you read through those passages, trust the Lord, let the Lord lead, and what an absolutely wonderful blessing that is. Back to Galatians here, chapter 6. He takes this idea 
And he's talking about the physical, but then he also starts talking about the spiritual with it. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. This is such a simple statement. You get to invest in something. What are you going to invest in? Yes, there's the financial aspect, but now we're talking about past the financial. What are you going to invest your time in? What are you going to invest your energy in? What are you going to invest your emotions in? You get to choose. Because what you do, what you sow in, you're also going to reap. So if you invest your life into you, and it's all about your free time and your joy, your pleasure, then that's all you're going to get out of it. And you may say, well, that sounds really good. Yeah, but take a look at verse 8. He who sows to the flesh, will the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit, will the spirit reap everlasting life. New Living Translation says it very straightforward. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Everything you do is an investment. Go back to what it says in the book of Colossians. Work as if working for the Lord, not for man. In all things, you're giving glory to the Lord. Every action you do is for the furtherance of the kingdom and for the glory of the Lord. You're taking that moment and saying, what am I investing in? You're given 24 hours a day. How are you going to use it? You're going to give your emotions, your free time, what have you. What are you doing? You want to be for eternal things. You want to be for the kingdom. Because when you go to the flesh, verse 8, you're going to get flesh back. Now the problem is, according to Hebrews, flesh is fun for a season. Then all of a sudden flesh isn't fun. It creates problems. It creates issues. You want to invest in the spiritual life, therefore to reap of the spiritual life. Now we hear that and we say, boy, that sounds difficult. Why is that difficult? Well, be honest. I'm just going to speak for me. I can't speak for you. I'm selfish. I'm the most selfish person I know. Because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Now we can put on a good facade sometimes of saying, well, no, I really want to do this for somebody else. But yet in our flesh, we're constantly battling us. The idea, once again, of free time. The idea of this pleases me. And so this idea of I'm going to die to myself. Remember our three words we said at the beginning of the book of Galatians. Die, deny, and disappear. Dying to yourself, denying yourself, and then disappearing into Jesus. That's difficult to do. That's why verse 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Verse 9, we grow weary in doing good. It's hard to be good. It's hard to stay pure. It's hard to stay on the right track. The thing I'm best at in this world, I am so good at sinning, is the one thing that God tells me not to do. But I'm really good at it. Being good and pure Man, Romans 6 says you got to die to yourself, James, to do that. Galatians is telling me you got to crucify yourself to do that. That's hard to do. And so that's why in verse 9, we grow weary in doing good. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. How quickly do we give up? I don't know how many times over the years I've heard people come to me and tell me their stories of how hard they tried. You know, I invite them out to church. I try to present Jesus Christ. And, oh, I tried the Christianity thing. Okay, well, tell me about it. Oh, yeah, I went like three, four weeks in a row. Wow, that's, that's not really that hard. Or somebody will come up about a relationship that's falling apart. You don't know how hard I worked at this. No, I don't. But I know what Hebrews says. Have you resisted at the point of bloodshed? And Jesus prayed so hard he started sweating drops of blood. So often we try and try and try. It gets difficult. And what do we do? We lose heart and give up. And what Paul is telling us through the Spirit in verse 9, don't grow weary in doing good. If it's good, stay the course. 
If it's good, you just stay focused on it. You keep doing it because you will reap. You will reap a harvest, but don't give up. Think about how many times in the Bible they always use these farming analogies on a regular basis. Knowing the right time to plant, knowing the right season to plant, how to do it. We live in a farming community that should be pretty obvious to us. Let's say there was somebody who absolutely knew nothing about farming. I mean, just knew nothing about farming. So they come here and they decide they're going to be a farmer. So their logical thing is, I'm going to start at the beginning of the year. January, I'm going to go out and plant. Well, no, you can't plant in January. There's wisdom in that. It doesn't work. So we have to have there's wisdom in the right season. Okay, so fine. They see that everybody else starts putting the corn and beans in right around April, May. So that's what they do too. Now, by the end of July, the beginning of August, they see their corn is tall. They see it's green. They have beautiful ears on it. It's tasseled out. Well, that makes sense. Now it's time to harvest. No. You actually want to wait till it's really ugly and brown. But it looks so good. I know it looks really good now. But you actually want to wait till it's ugly and brown and the corn starts pointing down. That doesn't make sense. So what happens is they decide to go out now because it looks good. It's not the right season. They'll lose heart. They'll grow weary. They'll be disappointing. How often do we try to rush God in his time frame? The Lord is saying, be patient and wait. And when it's the right time, I'll lead you and guide you. And until that time, verse 9, do not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I see so many believers losing heart, giving up and quitting so close to the finish line. Oh, it's not worth it. What are we supposed to do good? Verse 10, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all. All. That means the people we can't stand. There's a reason why in Luke chapter 6, Jesus comes out and says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. So if I'm ever doing counseling with a couple or a person and an individual, and they come up and they talk about how they have this one person they can't stand, and it's really difficult for them. I got them trapped right there. I ask them, do you love them in the Lord? If they say yes, then the answer is that if you love them in the Lord, this is what the Bible says. We're supposed to be good to them, to honor them, to respect and pray for them. Okay, do you love them in the Lord? No, I hate them. Okay, well, that's even good too, because Luke 6 says you're supposed to pray and love your enemies. No matter what answer you give me, it's the same response. Pray for them, love them, do good to them. Especially those who are of the household of the faith. I've noticed a lot of times in Christianity, we kind of forget the local church community. Because it's more exotic to focus on overseas stuff. And it's more exotic to focus on things far away. We get so used to each other. We've been brothers and sisters in the Lord for maybe decades. And we say things, that's just the way they are. That's just how they handle things. I've known them for years. They'll get through it. That may be true. But I think it's important that Paul says, especially those who have the household of the faith. That we need to stop and remember, I'm supposed to do good to every person I run into. Represent Jesus Christ no matter who it is. But there's a specialness. A specialness to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Who I work with and live with and minister with and worship with on a daily basis. And maybe known for decades. The Lord says they're really special. Don't forget that. And this is what the Lord is trying to tell us to do. And Paul says this is such a big deal. Look at verse 11. See with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. This is kind of a big deal. A lot of times Paul would dictate his letters to other people. A lot of people believe Paul had bad eyes. It was hard for him to write. So Paul is saying, I'm writing this myself. This is highlighted. This is underlined. This is what I want you to do. So let's stop for one second. Because it's so easy to hear this and just move on. Are we having a heart of giving? 
Have we are having a heart of investing into the things of the Lord? Are we investing into the flesh and reaping corruption? Are we growing weary? Are we giving up? Are we quitting? Or are we doing good? And are we doing good to all? Paul says, these are the things I want you to do. This is practical Christianity. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it. Now, that ties us back in to what we've been talking about in chapters 5 and 6. Now what he's going to do here in verses 11 through 13, he's going to take you back to what he talked about in chapters 3 and 4. Quick reminder, there's this group called the Judaizers that says, hey, do you want to follow Jesus? That's fine. Just follow the law as you follow Jesus. Their big thing was getting circumcised. So just follow Jesus, but make sure you follow the law of circumcision as well. Now, we've talked about this. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only way to get to heaven. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, the Bible says. So if he's the only way, we don't need to add anything to it. Christ on the cross said, it is finished. Nothing to add. So anytime someone wants to add something to Christianity, to who Jesus is, be very, very careful about that. Because they're adding to what Christ did on the cross. So Paul now reminds them, don't add anything. Don't add circumcision. Verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Only they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He says, listen, these people are going to come and tell you to get circumcised. Why? Verse 12, because it makes them look good. They want to boast in the flesh. Verse 13, they want to boast in their numbers. But we live in a society all based on numbers. You have so many followers on Twitter. You get so many likes. And it's this huge narcissistic mindset of how many people like me, listen to me, follow me, comment on me. Oh, man, we got to die to that. That just creates more of us. Who cares about us? Die, deny, and disappear. 2,000 years ago, they just wanted numbers so that way they can go ahead and say, hey, look at how many people we have. That's a constant battle in the flesh. Just to constantly say, look how many people. It's not about people. It's about the Lord. And we need to die to that and say, Lord, if the only thing that matters are people dying and going to hell, then that's all that matters. So let's go represent Jesus Christ and all we do and all we say. Because it's not about how big the ministry is or how many people or how many people like me. No, it's about Christ. So they want to do this. Why else do they want to do it? Verse 12, they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They're going to play both sides of the fence. Hey, Christians, don't worry. We're preaching about Jesus. Don't hate us. Oh, hey, Jews, don't worry. We're telling everybody to follow along, get circumcised. So we got both sides covered. Everybody's happy. I want to tell you right now, if that's the mindset you have, you're going to run into an issue. The longer we walk in the Lord and the more this earth goes downhill, it's going to be harder and harder to find that balance because there is no balance. You got to make a stand. You got to make a stand for Christ. You've got to choose what's important. And once you make that choice, you make that stand and say, I'm standing for the truth of what Jesus Christ is. You've heard me say many times before, there's three truths. The truth of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the Bible, and the truth of Jesus. Those are the truths you stand on. And that's not going to be very popular. Because people want you to find this compromise of can't we all just hold hands and get along. You know, when we were up in Dearborn a couple weeks ago doing the door-to-door for the Muslims, one of the best spiritual conversations we had was actually with an Italian immigrant. He was an Italian immigrant who happened to be Catholic. So here we are going door to door, and it, you know, it's, it's Muslim, it's Muslim, it's Muslim, it's Muslim, and it's like, you're not Muslim. Hi, you know, where are you from? He's from the old country. He's from Italy. 
much older man, and he said he was happy to see us. Everybody's always happy to see up there, that culture. So we sit there at his front door, and we talk. And he's like, oh, I think it's great that you guys are getting out there and doing this. And so you start the spiritual conversation. He happens to be Catholic. And it's like, oh, I happen to be Catholic. And he goes, what are you guys doing? We're promoting this Christian VBS here for the Muslims. And he basically goes, why are you doing that? Well, because, you know, we love them, we care for them, we want to represent the truth. And then he got into this long speech about how we're all just shooting for the same goal anyway. And he just basically said, listen, he goes, I'm Catholic. I, I'm shooting for the same goal that you guys are as Protestants and the same as the Muslims. And so we're all just trying to be happy and we're all believing in the same God. It's just different names. And so you try to start explaining to him, well, if that's truth, then there is no truth because then everybody has their own truth. And then you try to get back and I said, okay, this is what I was thinking. Okay, he's Catholic. We're a Protestant. They're a Muslim. So we all at least agree on Adam and Eve in creation. So I said, we're going to start right there. And about Adam and Eve and sin coming in and the idea of needing to be saved. So I bring up Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he goes, well, I don't even know if that stuff's true. And it's like, this guy, just there's no belief system. And he's happy with it. Because he's happy because everybody's happy. And that's the way the world works. Let's just not push anything. And let's just make everybody happy. Here's the problem. Happy people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You can be happy on the way to hell. I don't want you happy on the way to hell. I want you saved on the way to heaven. So what happens is somebody's happy and it's just human nature. Well, if you're happy, I want you to be happy. So part of me wants us to walk away and say, buddy, I'm glad you're happy. But I'm not because there's truth and we got to stand for truth. And so what I see 2,000 years ago in verse 12, there's a group of people that said, I don't want to suffer persecution. So I'll just compromise on everything I believe. I just tell you, as I said, we're going to be getting into Acts next week persecution is a side effect of standing for truth. And the longer we live in this world, the more we take a stand for truth, the more issues there are going to be. And we need to be prepared for that. We've got to pick up the pace here to finish this up. Verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has both been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. We've talked about this. I'm just going to repeat this quickly. Crucified is mentioned three times in this book. Back in chapter 2, you're crucified with Christ. Chapter 5, you're crucified to the flesh. And in chapter 6, you're crucified to the world. Follow the progression of that. As we joked about a couple weeks ago, it's kind of a weird thought. To crucify yourself, you've got to have somebody help you. You can't crucify yourself by yourself. Once you put the first nail through your wrist, you're kind of stuck. You need somebody else. So that's why the first passage is you're crucified with Christ. Christ says, I've died so that way you can live. And in Romans 6, I want you to die to yourself. So the first thing is we crucify ourselves. We die to who we are. Die, deny, and disappear. Next thing we do is we crucify our flesh, chapter 5. There are things that I want to do that are not biblical, they're not good, they're not holy. I die to that and say, Lord, I don't want to do these things because this is just going to cause problems for me. It's not worth it. We just read about that. If I sow to the flesh, I reap to the flesh. I don't want that. Then lastly, in verse 14, I crucify myself to the world. The world has no effect on me anymore. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say because I so bad just want to represent Jesus Christ. When we die, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Not good job, James, from the world. So this idea of we're dying to ourselves, that's what we boast in. Not our followers, verse 13, but in Christ. And then verse 15 just sums it up amazingly. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So circumcision doesn't get you into heaven. Uncircumcision doesn't get you to heaven. New creation gets you into heaven. 
If you're a note taker, take right down 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what we're preaching. We're not preaching happiness. We're not preaching that we want you to have a good life. We're preaching that you need to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to be a new creation in him. And when you have that mindset, verse 16, as many as walk according to this rule, what rule? I'm a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon them. See, if we want peace, work backwards. If you want peace, you got to walk according to being a new creation. How are you ever going to have peace doing what you want, when you want, how you want? You'll walk in the flesh. You'll walk in disappointment. No good will come out of that. You want peace. You walk according to being a new creation in the Lord. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, that Israel of God means the chosen ones of God. God has chosen Israel, but he's also chosen us. So we are then chosen by the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. But I want to talk about this idea of God choosing Israel real quick. Can you go with me to Psalm 122? We've just got a couple of verses here, then we're going to finish up. Psalm 122. As you're going to Psalm 122, I just want to read real quick the rest of Galatians. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. When he says he bears in his body the marks, that's an interesting Greek word as you're going to Psalm 122. That's where we get our word stigmata. If you're interested in the stigmata, that's where they suppose they have these signs of the cross through their wrists, etc. What Paul is saying there, not that he has the signs of being crucified, he's saying, look at my body, the scars I carry for the Lord. If you want to, and I encourage you to do this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists everything he went through physically for the Lord. The beatings, the shipwreck, the stoning, the death. He went through everything. I think by the end of Paul's physical life on this earth, this guy had to look pretty bruised and battered. This guy went through a lot for the Lord. So what he's basically saying at the end of Galatians is, hey, listen to me. If you want to know I'm serious about the Lord, just take a look at my body. I've given everything over to the Lord. I'm not trying to keep myself comfortable. I'm not trying to keep myself safe. I'm trying to further the gospel and all that I do and all that I say. Boy, that's the same mindset we want to have. But here in Psalm 122, we talked about in Galatians 6 about peace in Israel. What I've started doing recently is I read through Psalm 122 before every Sunday morning, before I come out to church. Because look at verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Sometimes Saturday nights and Sunday mornings are tough for me. There's just a lot of attacks, a lot of things going on. And I want to get back to the simplicity of just, Lord, we get to get together as the body of Christ. I can't, I can't control who shows up. I'm just glad people show up. I was talking at the 830 service. I lose track of time. But it was probably seven, eight years ago that we started up the 830 service. The 10 o'clock service was getting a little tight with space. And so we prayed about it. And we started up the 830 service. I was so scared and nervous when we started up the 830 service. I was so, it was, it was out of my comfort zone. I thought, no one's going to show up. Here we are. We're going to start this service. And no one's going to show up. So the first Sunday of the 8.30 service, you know, I was worked up, really worked up. Came out, and I see cars in the parking lot. I thought people showed up. And I came in here, and those cars were the worship team. And I realized, and you may think, I realized, amen. At least every service, there'll be Alan in the worship team, you know. And if worst case scenario, it's Alan, Marvin, me. So there'll be at least three of us. 
And now the 830 has just grown to this. I just love the 830. It's its own unique group, and I just absolutely love it. And I was like, Lord, I want that joy of just, let's just show up. I read a great devotional recently where it talks about how churches sometimes worship at the altar of perfection, that they feel they need to present the perfect church. Oh, my goodness. Look to your left. We're not perfect. Look to your right. We're not perfect. Look up here. Yeah, we are. But the point is... <laughs> We're not perfect. And I think so often churches try to present themselves of having it all figured out. Listen, we're, we're a mess, and we're a mess that hopefully loves the Lord, and we're just trying to present that truth to other people. And I'm trying to, like, okay, Lord, help me remember the simplicity, and that's part of the reason of going through Acts. Let's get back to the simplicity of what it is, because I see so many ministries, and, and it's easy to get into this trap of presenting themselves as we got it all figured out. No, we don't. So let's just do verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's just get together and worship the Lord together. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of the Lord, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's what we're here to do. Let's just testify of the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Here's the one, though, that ties us back into Galatians. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I just want to let you know, Christians, we need to pray for Jerusalem and all that we do and all that we say. According to Romans 9, 10, and 11, Israel's God's chosen people. We're the wild branch that has been grafted in. So amen to that. But God still loves the Jews. And we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for Jerusalem. We need to pray for them. This is so straightforward. May they prosper who love you. We want to be a nation. I don't get into a lot of politics, but I'm telling you right now, we want to be a nation that supports Israel. We want to be a body of Christ that supports Israel. We want to be individuals that support Israel. That is such an important thing to do. And we need to pray for them because it's such a vital thing. I always say this. If you think it's good now in your walk in relationship with Christ, when Israel gets saved, that's when the party really starts. Because then we're all together. Verse 7, peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord your God, I will seek your good. Jump back, if you will, to Galatians 6. Paul finishes it up. Verse 18, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. It's a wonderful book. I hope you're blessed by it. Just please remember those three words, die, deny, and disappear. I encourage you, if there's something in your life right now that is controlling you, rather than the Lord, you need to die to it. If there's something in your life that you're putting more emphasis and effort on than the Lord, you need to deny it. If your focus in life is you and not the Lord, you need to disappear. This is that whole idea of being crucified. This whole idea of saying, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. People are dying and going to hell. Let's present truth to them and always say and do. Worship team, if you come forward here for the final song. Hey, there's a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. Fairs starting up this week. Prayer booth information back there to my left.